0: Serving as a missionary in Papua for uh, 40 years, uh, tells some amazing stories of God at work, and we're just looking forward to uh, what God's uh, going to do here this morning through Jim. So let's just pray and and dedicate this time to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you've already begun to do in our hearts and our and our community and our church today. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray. For Jim, that you would give him strength, uh, grace, blessing, your anointing, Holy Spirit anointing, filling him and empowering him, in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you. It's nice feeling at home here. Thank you, everybody, for uh, coming back today. This is point. This is part B. Last night was part A. So you didn't come last night. Sorry. Uh, I'll just briefly. That, yeah, I've been 40 years in Papua, Indonesia, the easternmost province of Indonesia, uh, the island of New Guinea, the western half, where you find a lot of remote people in the world. Uh, and if you want anybody wants to keep in contact with us, there's a sign-up sheet with your email address. We send out prayer updates every month. I don't have a website, but you can keep in contact that way. After 20 years, I described last night, 20 years of being in the jungle in a primitive tribe where we saw a move of God happen, we saw 80% of this tribe come to faith and move. We did a New Testament translation of the scriptures for them, got them started on the Old Testament, uh, planted churches in all the villages, did medical clinics in all the villages, uh, taught them to read and write in their own language. And my daughters, three daughters born and raised in the jungle, uh, we homeschooled, so they were with us in ministry the whole time. And they were uh they're really black girls with white skin. <laughs> they really think like tribal girls uh, and I've learned to minister along with us. We put them on our shoulders, trekking through the jungle and paddling a canoe as a family to another village. So at early age, they serve God with us we're, This is the missionary team. Uh, it was never mom and dad going off and doing ministry so They gravitated, and you'll hear, I brag on my kids a lot, and you'll hear me telling some stories today. But after 20 years, we were finished, and we said, God, where's the next tribe? And there's 250 tribes in Papua, 250 languages. And I thought God would lead us down the river to another tribe or over a range of mountains to another tribe, but God surprised us. He said, Jim, the tribe that's most unreached now is the younger generation, they have their own language, their own culture, and you're losing a whole generation. And I opened my eyes and saw it. All these young people leaving their tribal homeland, flooding to the emerging cities on the coastline, going to the city to look for jobs, look for school. In the end, they drop out of school, don't get jobs, and they're introduced to alcohol for the very first time. And all the modern drugs of the world are in our island. And HIV-AIDS is highest in our island than any place else in Indonesia. of all AIDS cases in Indonesia are on our island. We bury someone, uh, average 1% person a month from our church a victim of AIDS. So we went to the city to start a new kind of church. And you remember last night I said, my wife and I have a motto. This is our family motto. We want to do those things that nobody else wants to do or can do. If somebody else can do it, let them do it. We want to do those things that nobody else wants to And most churches know what to do with nice, clean-cut young people. They don't know what to do with problem young people, broken young people. And that's the majority of young people today. Because this thing of broken home, dysfunctional family, is no longer a Western phenomena. It's come to Asia, where we used to value family. Now, 50% of the marriages in Hong Kong end in divorce. Korea, the largest church in the world, is approaching 50% divorce rate. And who's the victim? These kids. And kids are growing up with a lot of problems and hurt, and most churches don't know what to do with them. So we said, we'll go start a church for problem young people. So we came to the city, and we took 12 young guys off the street, a gang of boys that are always drunk, a gang of drunks. We brought them into our home to live with us. And that was our first church. I figured if Jesus can begin with 12 delinquents, I can begin with 12 delinquents. (laughs) And these boys fell in love with Jesus, stopped drinking, turned their lives around. We tried to put them in local churches for ongoing discipleship. It didn't work. Because even though they changed inside, outwardly, they're still kind of rough looking. And they didn't know the language of the church. Often we have two languages, inside language and outside language. They don't know the inside language. And they were restored in community life together with us, where they're accountable 24-7 for their thoughts, for their heart. If I just put them in a church that has a service on Sunday, they can't make it. So we had to start a new church for problem young people. Uh, We we had to start a new denomination, the Problem People Christian Church. (laughs) And it grew extrapolated from drunks to drug addicts to drug dealers to prostitutes to gang members to HIV-AIDS patients to jail inmates to problem families, and now all of our congregations in Papua and several cities are all problem people. We often do a declaration of faith. We all stand on our feet at a celebration. We raise our hands and we say, we're all problem people on a new road to God. Because we all are problem people. It's just some of us are better at hiding it than others. And when Jesus was on earth, who was attracted to Jesus? Problem people, sinners. You know, in church, we, we sing songs like, I want to be like Jesus. Do we really know what we're asking? Because if we're like Jesus, sinners will be attracted to us. If sinners are not attracted to you, you need to ask, why am I not like Jesus? So we, had, we wanted to produce a church where problem people, sinners felt at home. And it was a lot of church without walls, church happening anywhere and everywhere. Light in the midst of darkness. I know the people that wrote Church Without Walls book and I went to them a few years ago, I said, talking is easy, where's the proof? You know, in in Asia, after a service, we always go out and get chicken noodles. And we're sitting eating the noodles and we think, where's the chicken meat? (laughs) Yeah, Church Without Walls, it's easy to talk, but where's the meat? (laughs) So we were serious several years ago, Church Without Walls has to be a reality. And you're going to hear me talking about that some this morning. Uh, And it started out of our home. This is my family. Uh, There's a picture of my family you're going to see. Yeah, that's our newest family picture. Uh, We live communally. Uh, We learned how to live communally in the jungle, and we came to the city and do the same. We have 20 to 30 kids that live with us at at one time. And that's my wife with the baseball cap on, because she's a basketball coach. And our oldest daughter, Amy, and her husband, and our new grandson in her arms, and a lot of the kids. Yeah, one girl there saw her mother murdered by her father in front of her. Another boy was tied to a tree as punishment for three weeks with red ants biting on him in the hot sun. Another one locked in the closet for a week as punishment. They've been through all kinds of trauma. And we bring kids into our home, and they all in love with Jesus, and that becomes our first church. Today I want to uh, read some verses from Luke chapter 14. Luke 14 is a parable about eating. I see you guys like to eat. You have a break. <laughs> the, you can't go more than an hour without eating. You're my kind of people. So th- just listen to this. Uh, Luke 14, uh, 15 through 24. When one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, he said, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought a yoke, of five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly to the streets, the alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has already been done, but there's still room. Then the master said to his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get the taste of my banquet. You know, lots of Jesus' parables are about food. Why is that? kind of looks, like looks like Jesus likes to eat. I think there's two reasons why Jesus talked about food a lot. One was because the Jews had all these rules about eating. You couldn't eat with a non-Jew, couldn't eat from the same plate as a non-Jew, couldn't even go in their house. And Jesus is pretty counterculture, and he's trying to disturb those values, and I think that's part of the reason he likes to eat. But another one is, eating is discipleship. When you eat with someone, you receive their food, you receive them. When you reject their food, you reject them. They thought God would even, in verse 15, they're saying no, God wouldn't even eat with these non-Jews. And Jesus is saying, church is all about getting up close and personal with God at the banquet table, eating with him. Discipling is bringing people to the banquet table. To eat and start to find out who this Jesus is. It's a process. There was a guy with an orphanage a few uh, while, a long time ago. Uh, he'd see his kids in the orphanage playing around and he said, This is too frivolous. I order from now on, no more playing. Everybody must be very serious and do homework. I don't think that's real good. I don't think jesus would have done it that way with our kids these 20 kids that live with us this is our first church they're all now becoming leaders in our church and rising up and we're reproducing through the kids that live with us if you want to be a leader in my church you have to live with me for six months and what do you do well we have a chicken farm of a thousand chickens so every morning, we go out and feed chickens, and every afternoon. So if you want to be a leader in our church, you must feed chickens for six months, then you can be a leader. I'm serious, because it's all about character development, not Bible knowledge. We eat together, we cry together, we play basketball together, we feed chickens together, we pray for the sick together. Any one time, two or three of our kids are HIV positive, and we care for them till their last day. We love on HIV patients to their last day. I can still remember the last baptism we had. My wife is carrying this girl. She's in stage four AIDS. She's only got skin on bones, no meat. And she's been carried into this pond of water. My wife's carrying her in because she can't walk. And she's got a grin from ear to ear. And Joan dunks her underwater and comes out. And we all celebrate and pray. And seven days later, God took her. That's what we do as a family. That's church. Okay, let me. What would you see at four in the afternoon? If you came to my house, what would you see? We have a, a hectare and a half on the edge of town. We grow all of our own food. We have our chicken farm. We have fish ponds. We do all this stuff. And we have a clinic, a medical clinic for the poor. That my daughter Amy runs. Amy grew up in the jungle helping mom in the clinic. At age 12, she's delivering breech babies. She's giving injections. She's setting broken bones. She's suturing wounds from the tribal wars, all at age 12. So she naturally gravitated to medical training in America so she could get the theory to match the practice she already knew how to do. (laughs) And she came back and does our medical clinic. She has 100 patients a day. Malaria, HIV, all kinds of things, tuberculosis. They'll be walking in. In the afternoon at 4, you'll see people walking in to the clinic. And who are the clinic workers? All the girls that live with us. So if you come into the clinic, a 10-year-old will take your vital signs. A 12-year-old will give you an injection. A 14-year-old will dispense the medication. And they're really good. Amy's really trained them well. And you get your medication, but you don't go home because now you need your prayer. Medicine's no good unless it's activated with prayer. (laughs) So they all come out and they sit around two basketball courts that we have in our front yard. Waiting for their prayer. And we'll have 80 kids come and play basketball every afternoon. Everything from elementary, junior high, high school, college. My wife is a prep basketball coach. Three years ago, she was named high school basketball coach of the year in Indonesia. And we use basketball to restore broken young people We do basketball church So you play ball, you get sweaty And then you eat fried bananas and talk about life That's church (laughs) So all the people are sitting around the basketball court As the basketball scrimmaging is going on And Joan will be She'll be refereeing two two courts And then there's a break for ten minutes And all the sweaty basketball players Go off to the perimeter where the patients are sitting Laying hands on the sick and praying for them and this goes on for 10 minutes, and then they come back and play ball some more. And those patients leave, and their, their new patients come and take their place. And this goes on all afternoon. Ministry is very organic, very natural. And you have to ask any of our kids, why do you do this? That's what they'll say. This is who we are. This is what we do. That's discipleship. Come into the... Banquet table with Jesus, eating with him, normal everyday life in God with other people, seeing a new alternative that you never knew possible for you, and going along with somebody else in that alternative. That's discipleship. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, it's all about eating together, life together, life on life. So here's the scenario this man lets everybody know he's in advance, he's going to have a party. Without specifying what day and time. And everybody in honor says, sure, I'm going to come. Nobody would refuse because that's impolite. But then on the very day he's going to do it, he sends his servant again and tells them, today's the day, this is the time come. And these people made excuses, one after another. And guys, the excuses they made are no different than the excuses we still make today we've not become more clever at all. We still make the same excuses. I want you to listen to these excuses in modern language. Okay, the first one, verse 18. I've got got to pay attention to this newly acquired land. Okay, what would that sound like in modern America today in a contemporary translation? I've got no time for God because every waking minute I've got to work to make ends meet. You ever heard that? Did you ever say it yourself? No time to pray. No time to go to cell group. No time to give money to God. Everything I get, I've got to give to the mortgage of my house. I once spoke at a city in America, and afterwards a young couple came to me and wanted to have some counseling. And I go into a back room, and the man, the young guy, says, Jim, I bought a house. And now every penny I get every month goes to paying off this mortgage. I've got nothing to give God, to give my church, to give back. He's on his knees weeping. And I realized that day this is a spiritual stronghold on this man's life. And he could not get out of this. The spiritual stronghold of materialism. The second excuse, verse 19. I've got to try out this oxen that I've just purchased. What's that sound like in modern America today? All this new technology and stuff that's coming out on the market is filling my mind and grabbing my attention so that I have no more time for God. Examples, oh, I gotta get the new smartphone. I even heard the Amish use smartphones now. (laughs) I've got to get the newest hobby, the newest game from the video store. I've got new friends. I can get on Facebook and make my friends far off and far off people my friends. I don't know how to be a friend, but I can sure acquire friends. Sometimes people ask me, Jim, how in Papua do you make cell community work? We in America are so busy, we don't have time for it. It's kind of like they're thinking we're sitting on the beach sipping lemonade waiting for the cell group to start. (laughs) There's nothing like that. Our people are survival oriented. There's no such word in our language in Papua, leisure time. That's a foreign concept. There is no leisure time. We want to survive. Morning till night, we just want to make it through one more day. It's all survival. And guys, we all have 24 hours in a day. Does anybody here have 25? (laughs) I don't think so. We all got the same amount of time and we fill those 24 hours with the things that are important to us. And it's not adding more things like more cell and more church activities. but getting rid of something so that we prioritize what's important. And if cell community is important for you, you will make time for it. You'll get rid of some of the other stuff. There's still a third excuse. Verse 20, I just got married. That's a pretty good one. This is what it sounds like today. I'm so motivated to build a secure and happy family that I've forgotten the Lord who is the key to having a secure and happy family. He's probably thinking of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, that sounds like this. If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. Wow, all you ladies, you like that, don't you? Pretty cool. One year, your husband has to serve you. This guy is probably thinking of that verse. Listen to this. There are a lot of good things in this life. But don't let them rob you from accepting the Lord's invitation to be with Him. There's really just two commands that we need to follow, people. Matthew 22: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Matthew 28: Yeah, bring as many people with you to heaven as you can. Love God and bring as many people. Those are the two commands that we have to, to to as our goals in this life. Those are the two priorities. That's why we're here. Okay, I have a a top worship leader in America, a good friend. One time he said to me, Jim, you know the ultimate end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. I listened to that. I said, that sounds good, but I don't think it's very biblical. Because if that's our ultimate end, when we come to faith, why doesn't God just take us immediately to heaven to worship him face to face? But he gives us a little more time on this earth To bring as many people with us as we can That's why we're here This is an amazing race that we're in You know that TV show They stole that name from the church I think Newport You need to change your name It's Amazing Race Christian Church God gives us a clue and we go for it And then he gives us another clue and we go for it Now your whole life there are new clues Don't ever stop going for the new clues Doesn't matter how old you are Doesn't matter how young you are there are clues that he's given every single stage. We often think this one clue is everything. No, there's more. And it all starts by doing what's on the Father's heart. What's the priority for him? There's lots of good things you can do, but there's only some urgent things, critical things that are on God's heart. Are we reading the signs of the times? Probably next week at the conference, I'm going to talk a lot about this because Luke, Luke 12 Fifty-four. the Lord says, you're you're really good at reading the weather, but do you know the signs of the times? Are we really understanding what's going on in Twelve years ago, something happened that changed my life. When on the 26th of December, eight o'clock in the morning, those plates under the water on the west coast of Sumatra opened up and sucked all the water from the coast, and the tsunami happened. And all these villages on the coastline, kids came out getting this free fish on the dry land. But then the plates came down, and the first wave of the tsunami came up on ground and took all those villages out. There were three waves of the tsunami. The first one was black and dark, like a volcanic eruption under the water. Then there's a second, third wave. The third wave was 100 feet high, 30 meters high. And at the end, destruction, devastation. I'm 3,000 miles on the other end of Indonesia, you can't get much further from Aceh to Papua. But like you, I'm watching 24-7 on TV. One day, two days, three days, no help gets into these poor people. Because every road has been severed. Part of the terminal and the airport is caved in. Nothing can get in. Every morning I run. My wife and I run 10 kilometers every day to keep up our resistance so we don't get malaria all the time. And we pray. That's our time to pray. We can go off and run and pray for an hour and nobody bothers us. And so I go off the third day after the tsunami running, and God says, Jim, go to Aceh. Okay. I come back home, gather my wife and family. I said, God wants us to go to Aceh. What was their reaction? Okay, let's go. (laughs) Guys, there's a lot of wives and children waiting for you to hear God and say, this is what God wants for our family. And they will say, yes, we'll follow you. And so my daughter, who runs our clinic, gathered up 150 kilos of medicine. We got a team and we got on a plane. We landed the third the night of the third day after the tsunami in the first commercial aircraft allowed to land. Miracle. What's the biggest investment? I want to talk to the men here. What's the biggest investment you can leave for your family when you leave this earth? A, a paid off house? A life insurance policy? A car? I tell you what I want to leave for my children. I want them. I want to leave them, they know they had a father that heard and obeyed God. That's my inheritance to my children. And I see that they've caught it. And they're going to do even more than I've ever done. Teaching them and showing them what it means to hear and obey God. <coughs> Fathers, that's what we need to be about. Who hears God's voice? I always have people ask me, I'm sure it'll happen today. Jim, how do you hear God's voice? How do you know God's will? You know, it's not rocket science. I have three daughters. If I want to read the newspaper in the morning, I say, Amy, would you bring Dad the newspaper? She doesn't bring it. I might ask a second time, Amy, please bring the newspaper. She doesn't bring it. What am I going to do? I'll find another daughter that wants to obey. Ginny, would you bring me in the newspaper? I kind of think God's the same way. He's talking to us all the time. And he's looking for who wants to hear and obey. And the biggest problem is we've heard God and we didn't obey. And it's like a pipe that's clogged up. Start doing what he's told you to do and you'll hear more. Yeah, yeah. Our excuses. Does God accept our excuses? He not only doesn't accept them, he says in verse 21, he's angry by them. God is angered by our excuses. Verse 24, he says, you can't even come to the table. Wow. And who gets to the table? Verse 21, the poor, the crippled, the blind. Verse 23, all the common people from the alleys and streets. Because the important thing is not how you started your life, it's how you end your life that's the most important. Who gets to come into this end times harvest stuff? Okay, I appreciated your, your prison ministry. We've been doing prison ministry for several years. We're in the two biggest prisons in our province. We don't do church services for prisoners. Stop doing church services for prisoners. They're, they're tired of being the objects of ministry. They want to be the subjects of ministry. So we do cells in the cells, literally. And we train up leaders. We have a training program. We ordain pastors in the prison. All of our pastors are multiple murderers and rapists. They're in there for 20 years to life. They might as well minister to the rest of the prisoners. <laughs> Until we've changed the atmosphere of this jail. The warden said calls me in, he's a different religion, one time, and he says, Jim, you've changed the atmosphere of this prison. These prisoners are all different. I'm worried about the guards now. <laughs> and so you can come and see the cell groups that are being led by the prisoners and the guards now are coming and the prisoners are laying hands on the guards and praying for them. <laughs> a few years ago in the, in the courtyard where, where, the where they have a soccer field in the prison, they were playing and one guy got kicked, fell to the ground and his shin bone separated. One of our leaders, we'll call him David, he's been in for a while, He's trained. He goes out to the soccer pitch and he kneels down and starts to lay hands on the leg and praying. And the bone comes back in place. This miracle gets heard of and throughout the whole city. For the next seven days, all the churches bring the sick to the prison for the prisoners to pray for them. Every day, miracle after miracle happens of prisoners praying for the sick. And so then now the prayer tower in our city is not a church, the prayer tower is the prison. All the prayer requests from the churches are brought to the prison. Not from the prison to the churches, from the churches to the prison, because they know the prisoners have lots of time to pray. <laughs> and God hears their prayers. Until the warden allowed us to do an all-night praise and worship. In the penal system in Indonesia, it's locked down from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. First time in the history of Indonesia, the warden allows all the prisoners, hundreds, out of their jails, out of their 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 Sells all night long to worship Jesus and pray. We lead it. It's filmed on national TV because it's never happened before. Transform a prison into a church. They're the ones that are going to get into the stuff. They're going to be at the table doing the stuff with Jesus. We're involved in sex trafficking ministry for 12 years now, helping girls get out of prostitution. Prostitution makes 3.3 billion U.S. dollars a year in Indonesia. Five major locations. In one place, the girls who come out, they're the leaders of the ministry. Because many of them have HIV, they have a heart for AIDS patients. So every Tuesday and every Thursday, they go into the, into the uh, hospital to pray for AIDS patients. One time they came into this hospital and they saw this one gal, stage four AIDS, Unconscious, being intravenously fed, just skin on bones. They prayed for her. Next week they come back, she's alert. She's talking. They keep praying, keep praying. One week, two weeks, three weeks. After four weeks, this girl is no longer intravenously being fed. She's taking food, she's walking around the hospital. Meat is back on her body, and the doctors say, You can go home. The girls bring her to our restoration house that are just for these girls, her new family. And they ask, where did you used to work? Oh, I was the madam at this bar over here. I had a stable of 24 girls that I was in charge of. Okay, go back to your habitat and tell them what happened to you. And she goes back and starts a Bible study in the bar with the girls on every Tuesday. It got so popular, she adds another day on Thursday. Finally, all the girls come to faith, and this bar is closed down. She says, I know two other pimps. I know two other locations. I'll I'll do the same thing. She does another one and another in three different places. We call this girl, we give her the name Angel. Last year, Angel just kind of confided me one day. She said, Jim, you know, I'm HIV positive. I know no guy's ever going to want me. I've gotten over that. But do pray for me. It's hard. And I just saw her a couple months ago as I was going through her location, and she introduced me to this young man, her fiancé. Who gets to come to the table and do the stuff for Jesus? The crippled, the lame, the rejected. Whoever's desperate. And people, you can do it in America. You can do it in Lancaster County. You just have to be desperate for God. Like a crippled and a lame person and an HIV AIDS patient and a prisoner in jail for his life. You got to be that desperate and God will do the same thing we have gangs. I'm sure you have gangs here. In Papua, we have gangs. We have one motorcycle gang in our, in our city. These are all boys that soup up their bikes, and they terrorize the community. They're all from off-island. They're all a different religion, and uh, the people are very afraid of them. The police are always chasing them. I'm thinking, how can I get into this gang and bring Jesus? I'm not going to bring them to church. I'm going to bring Jesus to them. I want, how can you have a motorcycle gang church So I started taking my motorcycle I don't ride a, drive a car Every day I just drive a motorcycle And I take my bike to this, this motorcycle repair shop That one of the boys from the gang works at Every week I'd take it Not because it needed working Because I wanted to make relationship And he was very open And it turns out he's the leader of the gang And I finally asked Would you guys like to start looking at the teachings of Jesus And he said Yes And so I started discovering Bible study. Why would they want to study the teachings of Jesus? Because they're tired of the police chasing them and they want to change their image in the community. I said, I think I know some teachings that'll help you change your image. And so we studied the teachings of Jesus, and they went out and planted trees in the community. We studied the teachings of Jesus, they went out and cleaned up the garbage in the open-air market. We studied the teachings of Jesus, on rainy days, they take umbrellas and help old grandmas cross the street. These gangsters helping old grandmas (laughs) cross the street. And they're beloved by the community now. teachings of Jesus did that for them. Who's going to get to the table at that end-times feast? Kind of like a lot of unexpected people. And why did they come? Verse 21, they were brought. They were made to come, verse 23. Someone realized this is urgent. It's now or never. Okay. A couple years ago, I was in one major city of uh, Indonesia doing a a, a thing for a bunch of churches. At the end, it was kind of a missions conference. At the end, all the pastors come to me, and they say, Jim we're really worried because there's no more kids in church. And I said, that's not a, a new phenomena. That's been happening for a long time. And it's not just the church. All my, my Muslim cleric friends say there's not many kids on Friday prayers in the mosque either. It's a phenomena worldwide that young people are saying no to formal religion. But they have spiritual hunger like never before. It's just we don't know how to communicate that. So I said, the kids are gathering. They're not coming to church, but they're gathering somewhere. You've got to find them. So I went looking for them in the city. I found them all behind the mall next to the waterfront. Every Saturday night, they all gather there 10,000. I counted them. Wow. <laughs> they're not in one place, they're kilometer after kilometer, all in small groups, because they're looking for a community. There's the motorcycle gang, there's the hip hop gang, the breakdance gang, the rapper gang. The street basketball gang, the LGBT gang, every stripe and color. And they don't ever go to church. They don't go to any religious institution. But they have spiritual hunger. So we started going in one by one, trying to bring a discovery group of these teachers of Jesus will help us with our daily problems. One, two, three. After one year, 24 groups have now started following Jesus. In one year, we had a church of 2,000. They'd never been to a service on Sunday. Every day, these small groups—this is where they learn about life and about Jesus. And it went viral. And now, after two years, there's 10,000 kids across a whole geographic region. And how do they celebrate? They like the hip hop and break dance and rap. So their form of of, uh, of worship—they don't have a live band. That's kind of old now, guys in South Africa. It's the DJ runs the worship in the back with the turntable. <laughs> and there's no singers. It's the break dancers spinning on their head up front. And the rapper will talk about Jesus. He can't preach, but he can rap about Jesus nonstop for an hour. <laughs> and it's alive. And they worship in the mall. And they do it anywhere and everywhere. Because if you can't worship Jesus in the middle of non believers, do you really have a faith? And so it's just gone viral. And you're going to find this in America. Kids are not saying no to God. They're saying no to formal religion. They're looking for God like never before. I think it's the best time to be alive. I think we're right on the verge of a worldwide youth movement. May not start in America, but America's going to be affected by it. Guys, it's now or never. That's what we're talking about this morning. That's what this mission thing isn't just for some people... If you, if you have Jesus, you have mission. You know, I came back from Aceh. From, you know, Aceh is, is a really closed-off area, hard to get into. These are people who have never met a Christian their entire life and reject people coming in from anywhere else in Indonesia. When I came out after two weeks being there and we needed a break and came out to a place called Jakarta, some people said to me, Jim, how can you have love for the Achenese people? They're pretty coarse and abrupt people. They are. And they've closed off themselves to anybody from the outside. And they said, Jim, how can you have love for the Achenese people? I said, how can you not have love for the Achenese people? I have Jesus. I have love. If I have religion, I don't necessarily have love. But if you have Jesus, you've got love for other people, whatever their situation. It's now or never. And I always tell people, let's get bankrupt with God this year. You know, in, in in Luke chapter nine, Jesus talks about the, the cost of being a disciple. In the very last verse, sixty-two, he says, "Anybody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven." Don't look back. <coughs> Say it with me: Don't look back. Again, don't look back. Some of you are saying, "Jim, this mission thing. Yeah, we tried it. It doesn't work for us. Other people can go do that." Don't look back at your past failures. People ask me, Jim, what are you doing with these problem young people? What's your goal? Mission. We've sent 12 missionaries in other places all around and all across Indonesia, others. Because we want to send these problem kids. How can you send addicts and prostitutes to be missionaries? Easy. I do what Jesus says. Don't look back. Don't look back at your past problems. Look where the shepherd is leading you. Look where where Jesus is leading and go with them right now. Don't look back at your past successes. Lots of churches build this year's program on last year's success. Don't. Stop it. Close the door. Every January, I get together with all my leaders, and we close the door on last year. Last year's successes are last year. We start out January bankrupt with God. What's the Father's business this year that we're supposed to be about? Don't build on last year. It's now or never getting bankrupt with God. And folks, this year, there's going to be lots of challenges. It's going to get chaotic. I guarantee it. And we've got to learn to thrive in the midst of chaos I so remember the first time I went to Vietnam This was like 25 years ago, Hanoi Before the U.S. embargo was lifted I was there the, the underground church had invited me I was staying at some place And they came and picked me up for the service You know when their service is? 12 midnight And this boy in a dilapidated motorcycle Looked like a World War II relic picked me up and he gave me a trench coat and a hat and sunglasses. This is 12 midnight. (laughs) They don't want me to look like a foreigner. So I get on the back of this motorcycle and he goes around town for about a half an hour making sure nobody's following from the back. And we come out to the high-rise apartment building and we go into this floor, to this room where there's a hundred people packed into this. They've been there three hours praying, preparing their heart to receive the word. And I spoke through a translator and afterwards I sat with the three leaders of this movement And I asked them, what's the biggest prayer request I can take back to Indonesia? I don't know about you, but I often pray for people in communist countries that persecution would be lifted so they'd be free to worship God wherever. That's not what they asked. They said, Jim, pray for us. We're worried that if persecution lessens, the church will get lazy. Pray for us. You see, they had learned to thrive in the midst of persecution. The world's going to get more chaotic, more dangerous, and we need to know how to thrive in the midst of that. Nothing holds us back. God's rearranging the pieces of the puzzle for end times harvest. Are we realizing it? I'll close with just a last illustration. I was in Cuba doing a training for underground church And we're in some secluded area with a whole bunch of people and about this size, and it was really far out in the countryside so no one could see them. And I gave an invitation, and the three leaders of this movement came forward, got on their knees, and cried out to God. They said, we leaders have to respond before anybody else. Wow. I wanted to get to know these guys after the service. Afterwards, I was spending time with them, and one guy I'll never forget till today. His name was Roberto. Roberto said... I'm an evangelist. I like to plant churches. But the doctors say I'm sick. They say I have cancer. The doctors have given me six months to live. So I promise God with every month I have, I'll plant a new church. Folks, that was several years ago. Roberto's still alive today. And he's planting a church every month. I believe God has elongated his life because he lined up his purposes with God's purposes. My last illustration, my hero, my daughter. Amy does our medical program. Open she ministers to people's bodies and their hearts get open. A couple years back, a, a pastor was visiting us and he was in the kitchen talking to Amy, and I was in the side room eavesdropping from a distance. <laughs> and he asked Amy, Amy, if you had a check and you could enter any amount of money, what would be your dream? She was puzzled by that question because she'd never been asked that question. And she immediately answered, I'm doing it. I'm doing my dream. I'm not waiting for a lot of money. I'm not waiting for a lot of recognition. I'm not waiting for a lot of attention. Whatever God tells me, I'm doing it. I'm doing my dream. Folks, line up your dreams with God's dreams. Your purposes with God's purposes. And don't you dare say this kinds of stuff, harvest, can happen in China, India, Indonesia, Africa, but it can't happen in America. Yeah. It's America's turn, too. Yeah. Yeah. God doesn't play favorites. If it's happening one place, he, you see all the foreigners are clapping. You're not <laughs> clapping. They believe it. You don't believe it yet. Man, come on. God doesn't play favorites. If it's happening in one place, it probably means he wants it to happen in all places. It's the best time to be alive. So don't believe the evil report like we heard last night. See the promised land and get in there. It's now or never. Come to the banquet. You're going to find a lot of people there that you never imagined. And you have a unique calling on your church that no other church has. I'll talk about this next week, but I believe in 10 years, 80% of what we know as church will not be around. Only 20% will be around. 80% will be brand new. Because the world is changing rapidly, and the younger generation is demanding a new expression of church. But the churches that are going to thrive are the Antioch churches. They have the Antioch spirit. It's not about us. It's not about our building and our budget and getting bigger. It's all about giving away our best. Freely we receive. Freely we're giving it away as fast as we can. You have that spirit. Take it to a new level now, this year. It's now or never. Let's just get comfortable with God for a little bit of prayer. Father God, as we just silence our hearts, we say, please let us hear your voice, not the voice of Jim Yost, but Holy Spirit, you speak to us. What are you saying through this time this morning? How do you want us to obey? What you say personally to me as a father, What do you say to me as a mother? What do you say to me as a daughter? What do you say to me as a son? What do you say to me as a business person? What do you say to me as a teacher? What do you say to me? In my everyday life, how can I come to the table and be with you in what you're doing? I don't want to refuse this invitation. I want to run with you like I've never run before. I'm not going to ask for a vacation. I'm not going to ask to slow down. Lord, take us on a new amazing race to run faster than we've ever run before. We won't look back. We won't look back. Whatever God's saying to you right now, say, yes, Lord, I'm hearing you. I'll obey quickly today, tonight, tomorrow morning. It will become part of the DNA of my life and my family and our church. Never the same. We want to be at the table with you. Seal this, God, what you're saying. In the name of Jesus, a deposit, in impartation that changes things, changes things this morning. We'll never pray the same. We'll never play music the same. We'll never sing the same. We'll think about this mission thing totally differently now. It's for our family. It's for our city. It's for here, there, and everywhere. We have a place. It's now or never. I want to ask what you're hearing God say to you. Would you share it with one or two people around you and have them pray for you? That this would be deposited... (coughs) permanently in your life and hear what they say to you and pray. Let's do two, three. This is how we always end our services in Papua. Everybody ministers to everybody. So listen to what God is saying next to you. The person next to you, right or left, share and pray for each other right now. And let's make this just a short ministry time. The band can come up for the next five minutes. Seal this with each other. Go for it.
2: and girls Yes, invade our hearts, God, break come, come, come. God, this morning we say, come and invade our heart, our minds, and everything, our spirit. We don't want to see you, God, the way we used to see you, Jesus. I will us. come come in this nation come and infiltrate our lives come and infiltrate our communities and we're saying here Jesus King Jesus you're the name we lifted high your glory shaking up the earth and
3: Lord, break the isolation. God, break the isolation, Lord, where we've isolated ourselves from unbelievers. And the lost, break the isolation, God. Let the Spirit of the Lord break out, break out of us, to be poured out, to be poured into the lost, God. I pray for that release today in the name of Jesus. Lord, you're giving us a challenge today to step out. To step out into your purposes, God. To take a leap of faith. We don't just want to sing about revival. We want to see that you touch lives in our day, God. Lord, we want to serve our generation. We don't want to wait for the next generation. We want to see our generation impacted with the love of God, with the glory of God, with the power of God. With the life of God. So we pray, Spirit, break out. Break out. Break out of us. Move through us. Well, I pray for somebody here. If it's God, can you use me? Lord, I pray, yes, you can, Lord, that nobody is disqualified to be used by God. Lord, I pray for everyone here. Everybody. Lord, this is a new day. I pray for your mercies to be new. We declare your loving kindness and your tender mercies today. New mercies to reach everybody. New mercies to reach everybody. Lord, when the spies went into Jericho and they met the harlot, God, and she showed kindness to them. And that was great salvation, God, upon our family. God, I pray That we will see the kingdom work out towards harlots. To those people that we didn't even know where there's refuge, where there's provision, God. Lord, let us see a move of God in Lancaster that we've never seen before. Lord, I pray all you want is somebody to be available. Available and you enable us as we are available to you, Lord. I pray for the youth. I pray for the children. I pray, God, that our hearts be tender towards your purposes today. In the name of Jesus. I believe that it's a new day in Dove. Larry, Larry, I see the Lord turning a new page for Dove. A new day. Lord, I thank you for a new day for Dove International. I thank you for what you are about to do, Lord. I pray for our leaders. We lift up every leader in Dove. Thank you, Lord, that you captivate our hearts and you move us into a new day, to a new season. It's a turning of a page. That you will write a new day and a new story, Lord. Thank you,
0: Father. We're going to dismiss now, but I really feel like some of you, God is God is speaking to you. God is putting something on your heart, and and I feel some of you just need to be up here kneeling at the altar and 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 spending some some more time with with God this morning, hearing from Him, and, and just receiving from God this morning.